I stick a lot of dogs in the wind tunnel. Okay. Uh, the wind tunnel, it's a, it's a really nice space. It's a clean space. And we have a nice viewing area for coaches and trainers and engineers to come and actually watch what's going on inside the test section. And so when we're doing product testing, the specialized office in Morgan Hill, California is a very dog friendly office. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally project managers and engineers will bring their dogs into the wind tunnel. Um, and, and my rule mainly for personal entertainment is that the dog must go in the wind tunnel with the fans on for a few seconds, just to see what it looks like with the, with the fur waving in the wind and the dogs love it. It's like sticking their faces out a car window without the yeah. danger of falling out of the car. So. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today has his master's degree in integrated physiology. He is a human performance engineer at Specialized Bicycles. If you couldn't tell by the background, if you're just watching the audio, you're missing out on all the bicycles in the background. Um, He's a triathlete. And again, if you're not with us on YouTube, you're missing out on the stellar mustache. Welcome to the show, Jesse Frank. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, I think I'd be remiss not to mention the fact that you have an amazing name. Not only that, but amazing initials okay. too. So and, uh, you know, I, I like them, you know, and, and you too have somewhat oddly similar um, initials. Um, for anybody that watched the episode with, or watched or listened to the episode with uh, Dan Feeney and his wife, Melissa Mazzo, I said that wrong. I always want to do that. Um, they, uh, Melissa knows Jesse and recommended we talk to him. He does a lot of cool stuff at Specialized, um, so he's a great fit for the show. Uh, I always have to ask, whenever somebody has such a stellar mustache, because I can't, I'm not capable of growing such, such a mustache. I, I just can't get the, you know, the facial hair going on. Um, so rub your face. Rub your face. Is that the secret? That's the secret, yeah. Does it, but does it make you faster? I mean, you're in the wind tunnel, so... So, uh, a, l- a little background on, on the current face situation. Uh, this is the first time I've seen my cheeks in almost six years. I've had a, I've had a beard since, like, 2012. Like, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen my cheeks. Um, and my hair was just getting so... So, I also have a bit of a mullet going on. It's kind of hard to tell okay. um, in the length. Um, but my hair was just getting so long with the shelter-in-place orders and everything being closed that... Uh, I finally needed to get some kind of haircut and uh, on social media, I follow a professional runner by the name of Craig Angles. He used to run at Ole Miss and you know, a few months ago, he shaved off his mullet mustache combination, but he had just the most glorious facial hair mullet that he would sport during his races. And I remember looking at that just going, I want to do that one day uh, just for fun. And finally had the excuse where I couldn't get a haircut and my roommate was going to do my haircut. So figured I might as well shave the mustache or save the mullet. Uh, oddly enough, I, I could commit to the mullet. And we didn't do the mustache originally. And my roommate was like, yeah, Jesse, can we, can we shave the mustache? And I said, Matthew, give me like 10 minutes. I'm like pretty emotionally connected to my beard right now. I don't know if I can do the mustache. And like 10 minutes later, I came running down the stairs. Like, Matthew, shave off my beard in the mustache before I regret this. Go, 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 go. So that's, that's what's going on now. Um, but to answer your question, in the wind tunnel, before my time at Specialized, uh, they did – a series of body hair related tests in the wind tunnel, mm-hmm. shaved arms, shaved legs, ponytails, braids, and beards. Um, and they found that beards did not have an effect on aerodynamics. So interesting. Uh, I would assume the mustache wouldn't either. And I'm keeping it, keeping both the mustache and the beard. I don't, I don't like a, a freshly shaved Jesse. Doesn't, doesn't look so good. <laughs> uh, that's the best I could do is just like stubble. And then it was like patchy parts. And I'm like, okay, I just, that's what I do. Um, so I just end up shaving, but yeah, the, so that, that study that was there in the, the wind tunnel, I think that was like what, 2014, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. The wind tunnel started in 2013. So it just turned seven. And I, I don't remember when they first started doing the, the wind tunnel videos, but it was mm-hmm. kind of a rogue production by Mark Cody and Chris Yu, the two guys that were in charge of really designing and developing that wind tunnel. Yeah. 
um, and the first athlete they actually tested with the leg hair that started off this whole weird body hair portion of wind tunnel videos uh, was Jesse Thomas. Okay. Uh, with the theme here of the Jesse is in body hair. Yep. Uh, and so they sh Jesse shaved his legs um, and they came up with what's called the Chewbacca scale for how hairy you are. Mm -hmm. Jesse Thomas is a very hairy man, so he's quite high in the Chewbacca scale. Right. For Jesse, shaving his legs was something like 90 seconds faster over 40 kilometers. Yeah. Uh, which Mark and Coach, like, there's, there's no way that's real. Like, that's a fluke. But you right. can't put your leg hair back on after you shave it. Right. So I have to go find other people. And they ended up getting, I think, six or more people into the wind tunnel to shave their legs and found that the range was 50 to 90 seconds saved over 40K. Average yeah. of 72 or something. So, yeah, uh, yeah, lots of lots of weird body hair stuff going back to 2013, 2014. <laughs> yeah, up until that point, I was not a believer. I just, you know, it, it's kind of the culture in cycling to do it. But I was just like, this is dumb. Like, I, you know, I, there's no, I don't, I'm not particularly hairy. I have a friend who is full Wookiee, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, I don't really have that much leg hair so i'm like yeah you know it's not gonna make any difference but then you know i'm also a mathematician so i'm like okay well the numbers are what the numbers are you know and there's exactly. no reason to handicap myself it's like take take 10 minutes shave your legs like it's gonna be fine you know yep it grows back might be a little itchy but it grows back <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we do all this like i'll say like mental calisthenics for all these various training methods and the pain we go through to get faster it's like well if i can get a free 30 seconds from shaving my legs i'll do it no problem exactly yeah it's easy easy speed there so so you're working on the with the wind tunnel now um have you thought of any other like i'll say odd i hope you know what i mean um parameters to try to test um We've tested people in the wind tunnel with like spray bottles to try and, and get their jerseys wet versus not wet. To see if that has an effect on like mm -hmm. the density of the air around them and also cooling. Um, I stick a lot of dogs in the wind tunnel. Uh, <laughs> the wind tunnel, it's a, it's a really nice space. It's a clean space. And we have a nice viewing area for coaches and trainers and engineers to come and actually watch what's going on inside the test section. And so when we're doing product testing, the specialized office in Morgan Hill, California is a very dog friendly office. Mm -hmm. um, occasionally project managers and engineers will bring their dogs into the wind tunnel. Um, and, and my rule mainly for personal entertainment is that the dog must go in the wind tunnel with the fans on for a few seconds, just to see what it looks like with the, with the fur waving in the wind and the dogs love it. It's like sticking their faces out a car window without the danger yeah. of falling out of the car. So just like a lot of dogs in the wind tunnel. Um, other weird thing, the weirdest thing I can think of at the top of my head is, is the spray bottle stuff. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't have a very juicy answer for that. No, that's fine. I mean, dogs are good. Sticking yeah, dogs in the wind tunnel. That's not like, I mean, you're in a very unique position. It's not like I can just decide, hey, I want to stick my dog in a wind tunnel. Like, it's true, yeah. It's <laughs> I, mean, true. I think maybe you've become desensitized to your position already. Yeah, and now that I'm actually well, clearly, I'm in my garage. There's a lot of bikes around here. I live with uh, another specialized employee and then uh, a former specialized employee. So. There's lots of bikes and I'm looking at, at one of my e-bike or my e-bike. Um, and that reminds me before my time at Specialized to design a rain fender, the engineers actually stuck a, uh, an e-bike on a little red wagon, mm -hmm. put some tarp down inside the wind tunnel and drew a hose into the wind tunnel and sprayed water to see how the pressure wick drew the water droplets back towards the bike and designed mm -hmm. a fender around that. So okay. that's a fun little, fun little experiment. Um, and not outside of the product, side of things we of course have a lot of our pro athletes come into the wind tunnel yeah and because it's our wind tunnel we don't have to worry about breaking things as much well we have to worry about it but it's not as big of a deal since it's our own stuff and not some third-party wind tunnel mm -hmm. uh, we can kind of play around or do whatever weird questions the athletes want to do and so we have extended our test section so we can get five or six riders in the wind tunnel at a time and there's a wind tunnel video about this we can only measure the aerodynamics on one rider and that's the rider on the force balance but if you put other athletes on rollers or trainers, you can look at the effects of pace lining and drafting mm -hmm. and see what order the sprint lead out train should be, how far to the side you need to go to get out of the pressure wake. If you're a lead out man, your sprinter's behind you. If you're 10 centimeters, 20 centimeters off the side, even slightly, how much is that going to have an effect on, on aerodynamics? 
And so you can look up, uh, there's a one time video with Max Riqueze and uh, Fernando Gaviria, both who are no longer on QuickStep, but we did a fun test with them. And then uh, I don't think this video was, I don't think it was a video, but when Mark Cavendish was on QuickStep many years ago, we did mm -hmm. the whole paint lining test as well. And so what are the numbers on, because I, I know I've tried to look them up before and, and don't know exactly, just, you know, we, before we got going, we're talking about like the, the dumb triathlete thing. So I was just like, I don't, I don't spend much time in pace lines. I've done a few draft legal events, um, but there really is only, I'll say a handful, but it's not even a handful. It's like three or four of them. And they're pretty much invite only, um, you know, across the U.S. for amateurs. Uh, so I don't spend much time doing that, but it is a substantial amount of savings when you're sitting behind somebody. Um, do you know the yeah. numbers kind of off the top of your head? It, what, what it's on like? the order on the order of like thirty to forty percent reduction. Yeah, in drag, depending on you know the size of the rider in front of you, your size, um, what exactly the wind is like and where it's coming from, but somewhere in that that order of magnitude there. So it's yeah. it's a pretty significant difference for sure. Well, it always doesn't you know just like just looking at it and even experiencing it like you don't i didn't anticipate that you know it would have such an effect because like you're basically cruising you know i if i'm going to go out and go ride 25 miles an hour like that's pretty much my top line like right you know it, it i have yet to hit that for a full hour by myself mid 24s i've done but and you know most of the time i'm riding probably mid 23 mid to high 23s um just for my power output but it's like you get in that group you can go 25 plus easy you just rotate you're going to take you know a little bit of brunt at the front and then you rotate to the back and you're all right it, yep. it's just anybody who's not ridden in a pace line if you have the opportunity um it's just a fun experience it's, if nothing else it's super fun uh, like i was saying before we, we started officially recording we have group bike rides that specialize every day well yeah. in pre-covid times you would have have uh, group bike rides every day at 1215. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday are super fast days. Friday being our Friday world championships and whoever wins that race, we have a pseudo world champion jersey they get to wear for the next week. Okay. But you look at, we look at the Strava data from those three, the three days and the speeds are just like, they're stupid fast for someone who's not used to seeing that. Yeah. Um, and someone who before specialized, I didn't really ride hard in a pace line or in a Peloton very much as a mm -hmm. triathlete. You get to specialize, you're doing 45 minutes and you're averaging 26, 27 miles an hour on a good day. Yeah. I mean, and you're tired, but you're not like totally wiped. So it's, right. it's a pretty awesome, fun uh, experience to have. And, uh, yeah, to have for sure. So, I mean, have you, I assume that at some point, because it seems like specialize is probably a pretty cool place to work. So I assume at some point um, somebody's giving you the green light to hop in the wind tunnel and kind of optimize your own position on your time travel bike. This is very true. Yes. Uh, I, there's, there's about three of us who get to run the wind tunnel. Um, and originally it was just two of us and both original two of us were both pretty, uh, into cycling and time trials. And so we would every couple months just order some pizza in after, after the work day ended and, and test each other because you need someone to run the wind tunnel and someone to be inside. It's pretty hard to do as a one man job. Um, if you're trying to test yourself. And so, yeah, I've tested myself many times in the wind tunnel. Um, I'm not particularly flexible. So my position on, on my time trial bike is quite high. Uh, mm -hmm. I have pretty tight hamstrings and hips, so I, I can't get very low. Um, but I'm working on the shrug and working on getting my head low. Um, and actually, when I first got to Specialized, um, it was just under a year after the, my one and only Ironman that I'd, I've done. I did Ironman Louisville in 2016. I got to specialize. I still had my, my old TT helmet. I had my old uh, time trial bike, the kit I wore in the Ironman. Um, and a couple months into my job, you know, I had Shiv, I had an Evade skin suit, I had a, a TT helmet, an SRX TT helmet at my disposal. So I was curious, what is the difference in these pieces of equipment? I had seen the original Venge marketing many years ago where they said, you know, the original Venge Vias plus the wheels plus a skin suit plus an Evade helmet would save you five minutes over 40K. Mm -hmm. And as a college student who was not particularly uh, uh, rich and doesn't like spending <laughs> money, uh, I was like, no way, that's true. That's marketing BS. I don't believe it. And so I had to, of course, see for myself when I got to Specialized. And the difference between uh, or switching to a Specialized Shift, uh, S4TT helmet, and a Vade skin suit 
would have given me eight minutes of free speed at the Ironman. Mm-hmm. And I missed Kona by about eight minutes and 40 seconds. Mm. So I kind of cried a little bit when I saw that, but uh, definitely a believer now. <laughs> definitely yeah. a believer. It was a real smack in the face to, to make, you, make you believe it. So that was a cool first test to see. Um, and it's also cool to toggle. You can toggle between pitchers in like one uh, position to the next. Mm-hmm. And positions were matched pretty much identically. It just looks like I'm changing clothes and changing bikes. So yeah. it's, it was a pretty cool test to do. So thinking about, um, you're talking about not being real flexible. One of the things I just, I've kind of seen some stuff on, but I haven't, I don't feel like I've found a whole lot of definitive numbers or, or studies um, or at least extensive on this. It's like the, basically the two kind of, I'll say back styles. I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. The curved back and the flat back. Does that seem to make, a significant difference. It seems like, like I have a, the curved back shape. I cannot get that flat profile. Mm-hmm. Does that seem to make a difference in terms of, you know, the, the kind of efficiency you can get with a rider or is it, or is it more about like how small you can get that frontal area? I mean, it's definitely a combination. Um, I think a lot of the interaction also, also has to do with how your helmet sits against your back. Okay. You know, if, if your helmet sits pretty low, and you're looking from the front and you can see the hump and the curve of your back over your helmet, that's probably not gonna be very fast. Um, but if for some reason you have a curved back and the top of the curve still sits in line with the back of the helmet or top of the helmet, it's not gonna be as big of a deal. Um, we see a lot of, of differences in aerodynamics from head position and helmet. Um, and so I, I personally think that flat back is, is not necessarily a good cue to, to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't tested directly like the same person and only changing like, you know, a cat cow type yoga position where you arch right. your back and keep it flat. I haven't necessarily tested that on its own. Um, but the thing I tell people, the easiest way you can get some improvement in aerodynamics is focus on your head. A lot of uh, age groupers, a lot of people new to triathlon kind of ride like they're a periscope on a submarine. You know, you're in your barrel position, your head is kind of up, you're looking for the potholes, you're looking for the next coffee shop. Right. Right. You don't, you don't want to have your head super high up. You want to drop your head as low as you can. So really, yeah. you're not seeing very far in front of you, maybe just six feet in front of you. Keep that proper social distance, you know, <laughs> just look a little bit ahead of you. That's all you need to see. Yeah. Uh, and that's the quickest, easiest way to, to drop your, your, uh, or to improve your aerodynamics. Um, and I think the curve back versus flat back is more, more of a comfort issue. Okay. See, that's why I always felt like that issue with the kind of like the turtling in the head is where my poor posture comes in to help me. Um, so when I was going through, uh, rehab, um, and I mean physical rehab <laughs> several sure, years ago. Sure. So I, yeah, so I crashed it. I crashed at 70.3 Eagle Man. I shattered my collarbone, had to have surgery, and then go through phys- physical rehab. Um, the uh, lady that was working with me was, like, really trying to get me to, like, straighten my neck out. So, because I kind of have this, like, like stuck forward yeah. neck thing going on. So, it, it's, it does not help the, like, nice straight line, slight lean I should have while running. But when I'm on the bike, like, my head just ducks ducks down naturally there you go so i'm like well you know you win some you lose some (laughs) for sure give and take um so you're talking about um like wet shirt dry shirt kind of test you were doing can you talk about what you found is that still classified we're still running some more tests on it we haven't we haven't seen huge differences to be honest um but we still want to kind of play around with, with our protocol and different materials and fabrics. So, okay. so something we're, we're actively researching um, once we can get back in the office. Um, and that's kind of a, the nice thing about having the wind tunnel is it was first built to be an aerodynamics research center focused on aero, aero, aero. Uh, but as we, we move through the years, we're finding we can use the wind tunnel for more and more things. And we can use it as like a, a thermal regulated environment. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to, we're going to add heaters so we can make the wind tunnel super hot. You know, we're going to try and find a way to increase humidity and make it more of an environmental chamber mm-hmm. to look at thermodynamics, especially as we head towards Tokyo and hot weather races and figure out how we can uh, improve athletes' chances to stay cool and, and get a better performance in hot weather. So it's, it's really a multifaceted research center now, which is pretty fun. So I'm, I'm excited to get back up there and start testing the wet versus dry jerseys and 
hot versus cold and all that, all that fun stuff. Do you have any anticipation when offices, I assume everybody's at home right now and then offices open back up at some point? Everyone is at home. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, our headquarters is in Morgan Hill, California, which is in Santa Clara County, mm. which is one of the harder hit counties in the state of California, as far as I know. And so uh, Santa Clara shelter in place is still in effect right now. And until they start opening up businesses and, and uh, easing up shelter in place, our office will be closed. Once it's open up a little bit, we're still only going to allow essential personnel. So those people that have equipment at the office that really need to be at the office to do their day-to-day jobs. Mm-hmm. So someone like me. Um, that being said, if you don't need to go in the office to run a test, you're still going to be encouraging everyone to work from home. Mm-hmm. And from what I hear, it doesn't sound likely that everyone will be allowed back into the office until early fall, end of summer. Okay. That's, that's what it seems like. You know, it's, it's a moving target every day. Right. So we'll see. Um, working from home has been kind of nice, but our, our work culture is pretty awesome. It's an awesome group of people. So I do miss seeing everyone and do miss the interactions we get at the office. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something like I, you know, kind of run my own show and the few people that work with me, like, like Joe and, and I have another uh, kind of assistant that does other things that does video editing for me and stuff. You know, I don't see them, they're remote. So it's like, I miss out on that social interaction by being at home. I'm kind of adjusted to it, but like, I imagine if I worked at a place like Specialized, I would, I feel like I would feel kind of emotional effects from not, you know, not being able to like see people as, as often. Totally. I mean, l- luckily, you know, I have roommates, so I get that social interaction. Um, I, I think I'm a pretty social person. M- maybe a, a introvert or extrovert is, is the best way to describe me. I'm kind of in the middle there. So yeah. I, I don't think I could, I'd be doing very well if I didn't have roommates during this whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does. And I've, I've been riding by myself um, since March 14th and exercising by myself outside of ocean swims because I don't like sharks. And I want a bunny to get eaten first before me. Um, but, you know, I've been super, super careful with that, being a bit of a Jewish mother about it with my asthma. So, uh, but, but it's great. There's, there's so many people. So I live in Santa Cruz. It's about an hour from the office. Yeah. But there's so many specialized employees that live in the area um, that almost every ride I go on on the weekends or run, I'll run into someone from the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just get super excited. I'll be like an awkwardly far distance away and I start yelling and waving at them. <laughs> Hello, friend! <laughs> uh, so that's, that's pretty nice. Um, it, it makes you appreciate your friendships and, and community a little bit more. Yeah. So it, you're in Santa Cruz. Have you done the 70.3 in Santa Cruz? I have. That was uh, the first race I did in California, actually. Did that in 2017. And... I'm going to have to look that up because that may be the year that I did Santa Cruz. Was that the year that it was delayed because of fog and it ended up being like an 800-meter swim? Uh, no. Uh, it, I don't – maybe it was because there was like zero – we still went around the pier, but there was like zero visibility. You couldn't see – sometimes mm-hmm. you couldn't even see the next buoy. There was so much fog. We didn't go around the pier. They moved it to the like, northern side of the pier, and we just did a little triangle on the right side. Okay, so it had to have been different years because the year I was yeah. out there, it was just, I mean, ridiculously yeah. fun. And we we got going on time. I should actually, me and my friend Kevin were out there doing it. Maybe it was 2016 we were out there and then. Um, and it, we, we were, I think I was the next to last wave and he was the last wave. And it was just, it was just chaos. I mean, I don't think I'd done an ocean swim before, number one. So then you got to deal with the, the nice salt water. Yep. And uh, and then it was you you couldn't see the buoys are maybe a hundred meters apart, but you couldn't even see the next buoy. The yeah. the next the nicest thing was just you've got the pier on your right the whole time. Yep. Yeah, it's that's famous Santa Cruz summer is it's super foggy until eleven, twelve, one, two in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and then it rolls off. And as someone who, who likes to get their workouts done in the morning, it can be super frustrating because I'll wake up at eight and just want, and want to go ride my bike and I end up riding my bike because I don't want to wait. Yeah. Like as soon as I get home, it clears up. I just, oh, I want to be in the sunshine, not riding through like a mi- the mist on Highway 1 by myself with no lights. Yeah. So it can be a bit nerve wracking, but uh, it's been pretty nice so far this year. We're just starting to get the fog to roll in now, Yeah. unfortunately. I think that's uh, probably one of the most scenic races I've done. There's the, yeah. the section back in the woods. Or like you go you go up the hill, do you know what I'm talking about? 
So that was Swanton Road. They they took you must have done it 2016 because 2017 they took out Swanton Road. Oh, and it was just okay. along the highway. Uh, because Swanson Road, as beautiful as it is, uh, is not a very great road surface. It's a lot of potholes. Right. I don't know if you remember. Santa Cruz roads tend to be beautiful, but terrible well, there's roads. a lot of there's a lot of um, like hard downhills and turns. It's more, yeah. more technical work back there too. I know For that's sure. what I was gonna say. I actually took out some cones in the final turn, getting back onto one. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, just, that sticks right. out in my mind just because it was. You know, you've got so you're on one. If, if anybody listening, if you've not done it, not been out there, you're basically on like a cliffside road next to the ocean. So you don't you stop paying attention to it, but you've got the kind of crash of the waves in your ears the whole time you're riding. And then as you dip off onto that that side road back into the woods, everything is just ridiculously quiet in comparison. Like you could just hear other people's breathing. Nobody was talking. It's just like pedaling as hard as they could up a giant hill and just quiet. It, it just, it was a really cool moment for me. It just sticks out of my mind. Yeah. It, it's an awesome juxtaposition we have here in Santa Cruz. You can be in the water on the coast or surrounded by these giant, beautiful old redwood trees that are, you look mm-hmm. up and they're just massive towers in a matter of like six miles or less. Yeah. It's just the variety is, is absolutely insane. It's a really, really awesome place to live. So, so explain to me kind of, it seems like you've migrated across the country from, cause you were, you grew up in, was it, was it Michigan or where? I grew up in Michigan. So yeah. for those of you watching on, uh, on the YouTubes, uh, I'm going to do the quintessential Michigan thing where I'm going to pull out my hand because Michigan is shaped like a mitten or a hand. And I'm going to point to where I'm from, which is Metro Detroit, uh, Birmingham, Bluefield Hills. It's about 20 minutes from uh, Detroit, uh, 45 from Ann Arbor, the University of Michigan. For those of you familiar with Eminem, the movie Eight Mile, uh, I grew up on 15 Mile Road. So I'm like twice as hardcore as Eminem, or half, depending on which way you look at it. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I lived there until I was just under 18 when I left for college and I went to the University of Colorado out in Boulder, was there for seven years, uh, collecting two degrees because I didn't want to go to the real world, stayed on for a master's degree. And then I got the job out in California and now I'm I'm here. Uh, I joke with my parents all the time, like, when are you going to move back home? And I just say, I'm going to keep moving west and eventually I'll I'll get home. I'm just going to keep going away and I'll circle back around. But um, Michigan was a a great, great place to grow up. but I'm, I'm very glad I don't live there anymore. Uh, as someone who's pretty outdoor oriented and loves yeah. to be outside and exercise outside, uh, the part of Michigan where I grew up is pretty urban and flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you go north into the tip of the lower peninsula or up into the upper peninsula of Michigan, it's, it's super pretty, super cold. If you like skiing and snowmobiling and ice climbing, it's an awesome place. So um, maybe I'll move back there one day, but for now, California, Colorado, the West have my heart. I don't know off the top of my head, but I would assume that Specialized has international offices, right? Yeah, so that's one of my favorite parts about being at Specialized. Um, well, A, we have an office in Boulder, and my boss actually works in Boulder. So I, I go to go back to Boulder uh, to connect with him and work on some projects every two to three months in normal times. And so since I started college in 2010, the lo- this, this is the longest period of time that I haven't been at Boulder. Um, it's been almost seven months, I think. So uh, I go back all the time. My sister lives in Denver. I have a bunch of college friends out there still, like, like Dan and Melissa, mm-hmm. um, who were guests previously on the podcast. And it gets to the point in, in Colorado where I go visit and I send out text messages, like, anybody want to grab a beer tonight or have dinner? My friend's like, ah, we're busy tonight. We'll, we'll see you the next time you're in town. Ah, thanks, guys. Um, but yeah, Specialized has offices all over the world. Um, we have an office in the Netherlands. That's our like CE, Central... Europe. I actually don't know what that stands for. Uh, uh, office in the Netherlands. There's the tire team is in Germany. Our e-bike turbo teams in Switzerland. Um, we've got a, uh, like our triathlon marketing people are in South Africa and Stellenbosch. Um, and then small business units throughout the world that deal with the retailers all throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as someone who a gets to travel for work to work with our pro teams, it's really cool to travel abroad and still feel like you're welcomed right away and have a family there. Um, and also someone who travels for races. It's been really awesome for me. Um, I, I did both 70.3 worlds in South Africa and Port Elizabeth. 
as well as in Nice last year. Um, and both times I've basically been able to stay in those countries for extended periods of time and hang out with specialized employees. They've provided me accommodation um, in, you know, their extra flat or in their, on their couches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this past December, uh, I had to go to, I got to go to Spain to work with Quick Step in both Dolmans. I ended up just going to Portugal for a couple of days uh, just because I was out there and wanted to enjoy it and find out the last minute we had like a three person office in Portugal. I got in touch with one of the employees there. He comped me an entry to a, a 10K the day I landed and I raced a 10K. He hung out with me. It was, it was awesome. It's a, it's a really awesome family. It's always kind of not like, I was going to feel like it's nice the, the way that something so, I'll say mundane, but just like something so ordinary as like running or cycling, like kind of brings people together. You know, it's like, I don't, I could be wrong, but I'm not quite sure there's the same kind of, maybe for the, like the guys like, and girls that really like to lift, but like, if you go to the gym and lift weights, I don't feel like if you show up somewhere else, you're like, yeah, you work out at the gym sometimes. Like, there's not the same kind of yeah. camaraderie. Like, yeah, that's cool. Like, let's do it. And let's let's go do some curls. Yeah, I I almost feel like it revolves around having some kind of competition or like greater goal. You know, mm-hmm. for triathletes and cyclists and runners, you have your different races or your different fun runs or five Ks. For people who like to lift, you know, crossfitters, you have crossfit games or yeah. you have Spartan races. And you have that stuff, and it's like you build family and community at those events mm-hmm. at least for me personally that's how i've formed a lot of really awesome friendships especially through the collegiate triathlon scene um, i was on the cu team for seven years and some of my best friends from college went to you know, university of arizona i went to colorado state uh other schools within our tri-conference that we would see five six times a year at races and hang out with after every race and mm-hmm. you go to nationals and you all come together because you're trying to be the best conference and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really special. It's a special, special group of people for as much as I like to make fun of triathletes sometimes, uh, cause we are an odd quirky group of people. Um, it is, uh, it is an awesome community. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're taking odd quirky people to start with and in, in the single disciplines and then you're, you're finding the individuals that want to do all of them. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like that you're, you're getting down to a niche that it's, you can't help but just have kind of weird people in a, in a fun, loving way. I mean, obviously I sure. very much belong to that group, but just, you know, you're going to have some oddballs and that's okay. Totally. Totally. Like, like I was, I was saying earlier to you, totally okay to walk around spandex specialized headquarters. But as soon yeah. as I put on my, my proper running shorts with the split seams that are, are quite short, I get eight <laughs> people poking their heads out the doors asking me where the rest of my shorts are. And if I forgot them. So, uh, I wear that that badge with with honor, I guess. Yeah, Brad. Well, I was thinking about that. I was kind of trolling your Twitter, and you oh, were posting uh, maybe a week ago about some guy yelling, some big truck guy yelling at you in traffic. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> so, that was a week ago. Yeah, so you know, I I don't feel like it's so much anymore now that I'm kind of on trails and stuff, but definitely like you know, growing up. Uh, just in an area that we would be rolling the street running. We had people yell at us all the time. You know, the most common run forest run. Of course. Uh, I feel like you're not a like, true runner if you haven't heard that, you know? Right. It's like, okay, just get, get a new one. Like, yeah. you know, give me something. Um, all the way to, there was a time when we were running from our high school, basically the street that our high school was on all the way down to the dead end um a couple miles away on that same road and back coming back my friend ryan he was kind of in the group of us this car comes by take you know rolls her window down lobs a like 40 ounce orange soda at him or at us really and it hits him in the leg leaves a giant well and luckily um our coach was actually out there and in his, in his truck, he took his truck and forced the vehicle off the road to like see who was like, who it was. And, and it ended up being like one, another student at the school and they ended up getting suspended. So it's like, for oh. once we get justice. Yeah. But it's like, these things aren't, unfortunately aren't uncommon. 
So no. kind of what's your, you know, I think you were talking about on Twitter about, um, you know, just trying to keep your cool with somebody like that. You know, what, how do you approach it? Do you, is it easy to kind of lose your cool? I know I certainly have. Plenty of people have gotten the finger from me. Um, yeah. Not, you know, maybe not righteously, but it's happened. You know, you lose your cool. Sure. How do you approach that situation? Yeah, and, and just to give some context to the listeners here, I, I was out on a, a long solo bike ride uh, last Saturday. Uh, I was on my sparkly purple Specialized Venge wearing a uh, full purple cycling kit. Uh, and I stopped at a light. The light had just turned green or was turning green. Um, and at that time, a, a person in, of course, a lifted pickup truck decided it would be a good time to roll down his window and yell at me, you look like a homo. Um, and I didn't really have time to process or, or think because I was already starting to pedal and like move away from the intersection. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite realize he was talking to me at first, but I looked back and saw he was looking at me. And all I just in that moment, all I could think to say was just thanks. Cause like really, why is that an insult? Right. Why, why, like some of the, my most favorite people, the coolest, nicest, raddest people I know are gay. Like that's not an insult to right. me. Like it's a compliment. It's like, Oh, thank you. You're calling me a good person. Essentially. Like clearly that person is not, uh, this is all stuff I thought about throughout the rest of my, my long ride. As I was right. You have this conversation in your head. Yeah. Cause at first I was like really angry and thought of all the things I wanted to say about having small genitalia or, you know, what have you. Um, and, and so just kind of thinking through that. And then like an hour later, I come upon another section of road um, with some graffiti spray painted on the road. Uh, and I knew there were a couple like adverse attempts going on in the area. So I turned around to see if it was, was um, graffiti for, for that. And it ended up being the SS lightning bolts mm-hmm. from like the far right white supremacy, yeah. white power group. And it just said like Zach and I think it said Zach and Sarah, two, two names, guy and girl. And it said white and proud. Um, and as, as a, a, a Jewish person that was concerning to me since yeah. it was a neo-Nazi group and it's just it's, and what's going on right now in, in Minneapolis and what we've seen throughout the country with racism and all the stuff that's going on it's just it's so confusing for 2020 yeah um, and I, you know I I tend to be a pretty easygoing person and like to find the good in people. And I like, I like to joke a lot. I put up a dad joke every week in the office and right mm-hmm. now I'm putting it up on Slack and I'm always making jokes, always trying to get people to laugh. Um, and I tend to divert to humor in serious times. So it, for me, it's not necessarily hard to keep my cool in that situation. Like I just mm-hmm. kind of shrug it off and be like, whatever, like these people don't care, but uh, it's just so hard these days. I, I, I don't, I don't really know how, how to process it to go forward and how to, how to start speaking out against it. Cause I, th- I think, I think it's important that the time has, has come, the time has, has passed for people to start speaking out about it. Right. And as a, you know, a straight white cisgender male, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm on like the lowest pedestal of like, right. I feel like what my experience is and what I can speak. So all I can do is, is try and give support to those people who are truly affected by, you know, getting called, uh, you know, you look like a homo or seeing like the white power stuff. Cause yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm at the lowest end of that pedestal, but I have plenty of friends that, you know, that is their life and it's, it breaks my heart to have to see them go through that on a daily basis. So I try to offer support and figure out ways to, to help people out. Yeah. It's, you know, I wonder and I wish I could remember which guest, because I know it was a previous guest on the podcast, and maybe it'll come to me. We talked about at the time, I think it was one of the guys on the show, um, talked about at the time basically how um, social media has traumatized us in a way. For sure. And I think about that in combination with how much like an echo chamber it can be. Oh. You know, where it's like, like people who want to be Nazis now, it's like, okay. So if you're listening to this and you're a Nazi, like don't ever buy anything from me. Like we're not, yeah. we're not compatible, <laughs> but, but just like, like I don't need your business. You know, I, I try to take too political a stand, but like that one, I'm, I'm pretty, that's, not, that's not like a political stand. It's just like, are you a good person? <laughs> right. Like you know? I, you know? I'm pretty okay with Nazis not buying from me, but it's like, so say, 
say you're a young Nazi and you live in a town with no other Nazis, like you'll probably grow out of it because people are going to, you know, tell you that's stupid. But then now we have this ability for people with these, I'll say dumb ideas to come together and kind of like support each other in this like insane ideology. So it's like social media is good in the one hand that we can kind of, you know, stay connected and share things like the podcast or it's like, you know, I get to talk to you and by that, by way, other people get to listen to, you know, what you have to say about the stuff that's specialized, which is like, you don't have time or the wherewithal to have a conversation with every single person that wants to know about the stuff that's specialized. Right. But at the same time, we get, you know, a terrible byproducts too, so. For sure. Have you heard of the comedian Bill Burr? Oh, sure. Yeah, I listen to the Monday heard- Morning Podcast and I'm a yeah, big, his- big Bill Burr fan. His, he has an old bit about shame and like, why is shame bad? Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? It's I think so. It's been a, it's been a little while. Yeah, for for his joke, he was targeting like um, body shaming and fat shaming. He's, oh he's yeah, like, like yeah, yes. Like shame can be good. I'm not saying we should go out and body shame people. I think that's wrong. But shame, I feel like sometimes can be like that's what Twitter is. Sometimes like you shame people. Oh, this person's a racist. Let's shame them. You yeah. know, like that's going on with with the George Flynn who with the cop was that you know need on. George and, and right. ended up killing him, right? It's like post a picture of him, post a picture of his record, and shame, shame the world, shame the police into arresting him, shame the people into doing this, and right. it's almost like shame people into becoming better. Right. It's, it's an interesting take, I guess. Well, it's like I think in in Bilber's bit, if I'm remembering it right, he's talking about like like you should be ashamed, you know, because it's not it's not healthy for you or that's the gist but it's like shame is is this method of control basically right (laughs) where we're saying when we want to shame somebody we're saying as a society that's not okay you know so i think maybe that's the argument is like like with like with fat shaming it's like you know i think i've never been overweight so it's hard i can't i can't speak from experience so i'm just it's it's complete conjecture here on my part so take this with a grain of salt but i feel like anybody that's fat at least that i've spoken to that i can have an honest conversation with they're not unaware of it being unhealthy you know they're it's not like they're oblivious to this it's not like they don't know so i think the conversation around that and fat shaming has been basically like let's dial it back a little bit because they, they already feel bad and then some of the coping mechanisms they have basically help make them more fat so right let's dial it back a little bit and help them love on them a little bit instead of shaming them but then hey the argument basically that bill burr's railing against is that going too far the other direction and instead of saying okay it's bad going to the point of saying no it's perfectly healthy it's fine it's good yeah. Okay, yeah. let's, let's, the pendulum swings back a little bit. For sure. There's got to be a happy medium somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, sure. I don't know. We, we don't have a tension about shame, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's just interesting, like social dynamics and stuff. So I, one of my undergrad majors is psychology. So I'm interested in people. Okay. Um, gotcha. Math and psychology. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, actually, <laughs> I wanted to play poker is what I was thinking. Um and those are the things I was interested in, but um, yeah, so I've got kind of an interesting brain. Um, so I, I did want to ask you a little hard transition here. Uh, I did want to ask you about, uh, let's get back on the rails. I think I saw something about uh, can you working on the e-bikes with uh, the wind tunnel and stuff. Is that right? Yeah. So my role at Specialize, um, I, I'm not, assigned to one product group. So you have some engineers okay. that work just on mountain bikes, some engineers that work just on road bikes, some engineers that work just on helmets, shoes, etc. The team I'm a part of, the greater team I'm a part of, uh, the best way I can think to explain it is kind of like we're internal contractors. Mm-hmm. So we're all, we all work for Specialized, we're employed by Specialized, but we get loaned out to different teams okay. depending on where the needs are. And so, uh, you know, I'll work some projects with the road bike team, some with the helmets and some with the shoes. And I got to have my hands in a little bit of everything pretty much, which is really mm-hmm. awesome for the triathlete in me who wants to, to be mediocre at a bunch of things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really nice to have my hands in a, a lot of things. Um, and especially since the wind tunnel is a tool for all of our products. 
sometimes we'll have the e-bikes in, sometimes we'll have the road bikes in, sometimes we'll have shoes in. Uh, and so my job is a lot of research and development and doing initial testing and kind of guiding the engineers and guiding the product teams towards the direction they should go, depending mm-hmm. on what the project goal is, and then have them run off and, and make the final design changes. So um, I, I can't say I really have too much of a, an effect on what our e-bikes look like or mm-hmm. you know what the specs of the e-bike are, but I, I get to do some of the earlier frame testing every now and again. Okay. Um, again, before we got like really derailed, which is probably my fault. Um, I wanted to ask about the, the dimples we used to see on helmets and stuff. And this is just a personal curiosity. What happened to the dimples? Cause I knew for a while it was like all about like, it's just like a golf ball and it's going to go, it's really aerodynamic. Like why did we switch from that to back to like smooth surfaced uh, helmets? You know, I, I don't know the actual exact reason in terms of helmets. Um, I would, I, I would, a few frames, but it wasn't a time. Yeah. I, I think part of it is initially with aerodynamics. Um, you know, you only know, start off knowing so little or so much about a topic and that's what right. we knew. And as frame materials and just materials evolve and we learn more and by we, I mean the industry learned more about aerodynamics. Uh, there was a lot more that the engineers could do with frame shapes. And so they can actually shape the frames to look, to be more aerodynamic. So instead of it being a truncated airfoil, it's a, a, a D shape that's actually made for aerodynamics. Yeah. Um, and so we can kind of get those same benefits and more without the dimples. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that would be my best guess as to why that happened. I can't say for sure. But if you look at skin suits these days, um, you're going to see longer sleeves mm-hmm. and more dimples. And that's actually something I've done a lot of work with in the tunnel is skin suits. Um, going back to that golf ball principle, the golf ball has dimples because essentially it helps the air have enough energy to get all the way around the golf ball mm-hmm. and decrease that pressure leak. And so it can fly farther and faster through the air. If you think about a cyclist's arm, we're typically pretty skinny folk. We have pretty cylindrical shaped arms and cylinders tend to be the, one of the worst shapes aerodynamically. Mm-hmm. And so air doesn't have a lot of energy to actually get around our arms kind of like it wouldn't have enough energy to go around a golf ball. And so what we can do is depending on the speed the suit is targeted for, the athlete's going to go, is we can include different fabric textures for different speeds. And so we'll basically do testing. We'll get a bunch of fabric samples in and say, all right, what fabric roughness is going to be the best for a suit for our sprinters that need to go, you know, 50 to 60K an hour? And what about 40 to 50? and then 30 to 40 K an hour. And we can pick different materials that we can include in different skin suits for those different speed ranges. So we can kind of fine tune those skin suits. Okay. The one thing I, you, you mentioned earlier working on, um, just not just the aerodynamics of things, but like the thermodynamics of things. I, I wonder, um, I've always had an issue with like overheating mm-hmm. different materials. Mm-hmm. So like, how much of that is a concern now when you're trying to develop the skin suits? Since obviously like you could be not saying that this is, this is accurate, but just say for whatever reason, if you dipped a rider in paint, that was the most aerodynamic thing we could do. Well, that wouldn't be very good because then they wouldn't you know, be able to breathe or get rid of the heat and then they would overheat and not be able to perform. Sure. Um, so aside from my absurd example, like, you know, how much does that play a factor into kind of balancing the two objectives of being aerodynamic, but also dealing with the rider's body? It's becoming more of an objective. Uh, we're, we're pretty heavily focused on aerodynamics, um, as I think most of the cycling industry was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually a project we're really focusing on now, especially since we can do a lot of theoretical work at home in these times, mm-hmm. getting a better understanding of the thermal balance for a rider while they're riding and how clothes affect that and how we can affect that with some products. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you think about a sleeping bag or a sleeping pad, when you go camping, I'm, I'm assuming you like to go camping here, but each I'm, sleeping I've been pad, camping, yep. good. Um, some sleeping bags are rated for different temperatures right. um, as well as some sleeping pads that have what's called an R value, like a clove value that right. determines how well it insulates. Mm-hmm. And so we actually have a tool at Specialized that we can measure that same value for the clothes we use. And so we can use that to pick clothing that's going to keep you warm in cold weather. But we're also starting to use that to figure out what is going to be a more breathable material 
Um, we can look at the color of a, of a, um, a jersey or a skin suit and see what colors are reflected and absorbed mm -hmm. and see how that can potentially affect thermal regulation there. Um, it also has to do with the, the fabric itself and how well it can transport water and evaporate that water mm -hmm. uh, and evaporate the sweat to help you cool if you're in a dry environment. So there's a bunch of these smaller pieces to the puzzle for apparel that we're starting to learn more about and we're trying to improve for you know, the next iteration of, of products. So that's a really, a really exciting project that I'm a part of now that we're kind of at the start of, of um, currently. It's, it's good to hear that somebody's working on it because I, I felt like several years back when I was having such issues overheating in the suit that I had and um, I've got a better suit now that's developed. Um, it's got kind of a mesh back and even the new one I have now since I crashed and tore the other one, it's got, you know, the dimples on the shoulder and the longer sleeves. So my, obviously I have the triathlon stuff. Um, and we have our own kind of needs because we both have to be hydrodynamic and aerodynamic, which is a very complicated situation to try to solve with clothing. Yes. Yeah. Cause and then you got to have it moisture wick, but then it, it's, it's an absolute mess. Um, which is why you get like swim skins and stuff to go over um, yep. your suit if you can afford them or whatever. Generally things that are fast in the air on the bike are going to be super slow in the water and, yep. and vice versa. And vice versa. Cause the, yeah, like the thing about a wetsuit, I mean, a wetsuit's going to be fast in the water, but I noticed, although speaking of Jesse Thomas, I think at Santa Cruz one year, he wore a wetsuit. <laughs> on the bike because it was so cold. Maybe it wasn't Santa Cruz, but I'm pretty that, sure he wore one. So Matty Reed and Callum Millward in Boise. Was in that like one? 20, I think it was 2013, maybe 2016, but they both wore their wetsuits. Oh, was it? I know it was Matty Reed. Well, Matty and Callum both tied in that race, in okay. a race. Maybe that was the same race, the wetsuits that they wore, but like the race in Boise was shortened to like 30-something miles. It was super yeah. cold. And a couple athletes just wore their wetsuit. I was thinking it was Jesse for some reason. I think maybe I was like following both of Matty Reed and Jesse Thomas at the time. Yeah. Maybe that's how Jesse I could have. I could. I mean, you, you very well could be right, but I know for sure Matty Reed did it in Boise. It sounds more correct as you're saying it. So I, I'm probably I'll probably like I have no connection to to Jesse, um, but if I ever talk to him, I'll probably ask him and be like, "Did this happen?" And he'll be like, "No, that didn't happen. That wasn't me." Uh, you know, it's a bummer we didn't have this conversation in early January. Is I, I presented at the Endurance Exchange con uh, Conference in Arizona, in Tempe, with USAT. Um, and my presentation was literally directly after Jesse Thomas spoke. <laughs> and it was just like, well, this is great. Not only am I like the less fast Jesse and the less attractive Jesse, he's got a picture of himself in like a Speedo on there. Yeah. I can't put that type of content in mind. Um, and so we, we got to chatting a little bit, a little bit uh, after we gave our presentation. So that was yeah. nice to, to meet him finally as a fellow jesse i've been wanting to meet him for a while super nice guy but i would have would have gladly asked him uh, about that <laughs> well see i always i always felt a little twins of jealousy um since I, so i was trying to become a pro triathlete for a number of years seven or eight years i had to figure out exactly and i always felt like okay i was going to be you know a professional triathlete with a business and, and not only could I not be a professional triathlete with a business? I wouldn't be the first Jesse pro triathlete with a business. <laughs> I was just like, what? what? This is a Why am I even trying? Yeah. It was, it was very, very tough. So if anybody listening is not familiar with Jesse Thomas, he owns a um, nutrition company with his wife. And I think they have a third business partner, Picky Bars. Um, it's like whole food kind of bars. I used to eat a ton of them, but I changed my snacks out pretty regularly. Um, you can get them on subscription, all that kind of stuff. So for a free plug for, for Jesse, cause they are good. They are good. And uh, shout out to Jesse Thomas. Congratulations on retirement. Uh, he did recently just retire from professional triathlon to focus on picky bars. So uh, good for him. Very, very exciting. I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know how he did it to begin with. Like just, I have the no time, idea. The time commitments is plus having nuts. two kids. Yeah. What? How? Yeah. Im impressive guy. Yeah, easily much. the most impressive Jesse of this trio here. <laughs> For sure, I, I think that's, I think that's two votes to maybe one against. Maybe he would vote for himself. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, as we're starting to run short on time, at least for you. Um, so since you watched Animalist's episode, you know my question. I'm going to ask. I would think um, yeah. I'm asking everybody this year. 
uh-huh. what do you think the purpose of sport is? You know, I knew you were going to ask me this, and I tried to think about it, and I was like, <laughs> I can't, like, I can't come up with a good, succinct answer. Um, but, but I'll start off by saying I think sport can be different for everyone. It can have a different purpose for everyone. For some people, it's their meditation. For some people, they solve all of their life problems on it. For some people, it's the community. Um, and it can, I feel like it even changes for me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking earlier about how awesome the endurance community is, especially in terms of travel. And you, you can go meet someone and feel right at home. And I think for me, sport has given me an incredible sense of, of community um, with just the people I've met, the, the opportunities I've been given through that community uh, has been really, really awesome. Um, and it's turned into a social thing for me. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of the time, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love, I love riding my bike just to ride and running to run, but I like doing it more with other people. You know, mm-hmm. I like sharing that experience with people, um, getting to, you know, ride down how I want. I look to my left and go, holy crap, and, and turn to my buddy and be like, are you seeing this? Like, how lucky are we? How privileged are we that we get the, the ability to do this in our free time? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's really special. But as, as COVID has been happening, that sense of community has kind of been taken, taken away. Mm-hmm. And, and now it, it's just kind of giving me like a connection to outside, which it always has, but it's kind of being elevated right. um, in the current times. And um, I try not to listen to music or, or podcast too much when I'm actually outside on the road riding. I like mm-hmm. to hear the cars, I like to hear the birds chirping, hear other people. Um, and it's, it's just been really nice to kind of back away from trying to go hard all the time and just being out there to be out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went on my first bike packing trip trip last weekend. I did an overnighter in Santa Cruz, just off the side of highway one. Mm-hmm. It was just so nice just to feel the wind on my face and just be outside and smile and see people joy on their face, riding a bike or running or hiking with their families. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be cliche and say it gives me a sense of feeling alive, but it, it really can sometimes it's yeah. the sense of being alive and the sense of community, I think are the, the, the two biggest things for me with sport. Well, I mean, well, there's, there's something there, right. Where it's like, you, you go, you can go outside just about any time. I mean, even right now you can go outside, but I, I think, and I'm a big proponent of don't listen to music. Don't do this. Like if you listen to this podcast while you're working out, I, I guess, thank you. But maybe, <laughs> Also, you know, if you, if you are go harder, you're not <laughs> done with your interval yet. Suck it up. Something like that. But it's like, you know, you're just going out, it, it, not to be too hippie ish, but it's just like, it's your time to kind of commune with nature and spend time with yourself inside your own head and kind of decompress, so to speak. We all have, sure. especially in the U S very busy lives. Um, always something to go on. There's always entertainment to watch. There, there's always something. It's, there's information overload, um, which is something I'll probably talk about with my next guest. So if you're watching this, stay tuned to that one. <laughs> um, but it, it, it is one of the definite like internal aspects of sport that I think we forget to connect to sometimes. That's so important beyond the competition, beyond the new PR, beyond, you know, am I in shape is like, am I connected to myself and the world around me instead of being just super busy, jarred, brains fuzzy all the time? Absolutely. And if it helps you to listen to music to help you find yourself while you're writing, so be it. I'm not going to tell you not to, but for me personally, it's not my cup of joe most of the time. Um, I was actually listening to a podcast last night while cooking dinner with Gus Morton, uh, a former professional cyclist and former specialized like gravel team rider. Mm-hmm. Um, he was interviewing uh, Anton Krupichka. I, I always butcher his last name. I don't know how to say it. Sorry. So sorry, Anton uh, or Tony. Um, he's a um, ultra runner, has won Leadville a bunch of times. Now just does a bunch of big bike packing stuff and mm-hmm. other missions as he's rehabbing some injuries. But, you know, he was saying he just, he loves going fast, but he also loves just enjoying being in nature and, you know, he does trail runs all the time and people are like, why don't you just slow down and smell the roses? And his response to that is, well, that's a much different experience than me running as fast as I can jumping over the boulders. Like I want to experience nature this way right now. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate stopping and smelling the roses, but for me right now, that's not how I want to do it. Right. Um, I thought that was a really 
poignant way of, of saying that, how, how it can be so different for everyone, but also so different for one person on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jesse. So we know you've got Twitter. Um, where can pe- it's Twitter, obviously. Where, where can people find you if they want to kind of keep up with your antics, what's going on in the wind tunnel, what's going on with Specialized, all those kind of things? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at jfrank32. Um, those are the two main places. I don't have a TikTok. I've got enough distractions. Yeah. I just have my sister send me the best of TikToks, and I get other stuff on Twitter through TikTok. Uh, yeah, those are the, the two best ways, I'd say. Sounds good, man. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Take care. You too.